Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his jeans from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week two of the Big East Barroom. I am your co-host, Tyler Cassidy. Ryan Cassidy there, blue shirt, because he supports Creighton Blue Jays. And this episode is brought to you by DMOR Designs. Check out site. Hook you up with any of your apparel needs at any given time. Right, DMOR Designs is great to talk about, but Let's talk a little basketball. Let's talk a little Biggie's hoop for once. You didn't want to do like a whole episode on our favorite like um, apparel necessities? Um, I like DMO Designs. I wear a lot of Nike shoes, though. So I don't know if I'd need to do a whole thing on that. Do they do shoes? No, I don't think so. DMO Designs do us anything. Sweatshirts, jerseys. Great hats. I really like their hats. Yeah, they do um, really good softball stuff if anyone plays softball. A lot of uh, sublimation. Which I don't really understand, but people like them. Rec team, rec team. Oh God, we our rec sport team was always winning in those. What if I get five shirts and hand them out at rec uh, basketball next Tuesday? I mean, that team would probably win. Those you know who's on won. your team? Those teams take a win. Right, eleven Big East teams played this week. We had a we probably had our first week where it felt like college basketball was really back. I think this might be the busiest week of college basketball of the season. If you're a Big East fan trying to watch as many games as possible, I spent about four full days watching college basketball and I did not catch every game. Um, It was jam packed and we had some really good ones and we had some really bad ones, but that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. uh, You know, there's a lot of conversation and maybe in the mailbag, we'll get into this about the state of the Big East. You know, you're going to find out a lot about them in this next week or two. And resumes are made in November and December as much as I don't like it. Um, I agree. We got 11 teams to talk about. And Ryan, we are going to start coaches that are least likely to be the coach in five years to the most likely of their team. So not still coaching because hopefully a lot of these guys are still coaching if Rick Pitino is alive, but least likely to be the coach of their current team to most likely. But before we get into that, we want to give a shout out to SeatGeek, who has hooked us up with a discount code BEBR Big East Barroom. For all first time SeatGeek users, you can go ahead and use that discount code, get $20 off your order. It supports us. It's been used. I'm not sure who that was, but we appreciate you. And uh, it's very exciting for us. So, absolutely, if you're a first time SeatGeek user, you're looking to get your first college basketball tickets for the year. Use that code, send SeatGeek some love, and send us some love. We appreciate it. Like, you're going to go to games. 70,000 events SeatGeek does. You're going to go to a game, throw in BEBR, and you get $20 off right there. Just do it because you want to see your team play. If you're a freshman and you didn't get tickets to the student section, BEBR, $20 off. For some games, you might be going for free. All right. Now, are we doing this in draft order? You'll take one. I'll take one. Yeah, but I feel like you should get the first pick because I feel like that's fair. Because it's the easiest pick. I mean, if you're telling me it's the easiest, you go ahead. All right, let's put three minutes on the clock. Let's talk the DePaul Blue Demons. And I'm going to start this off with I had a conversation with somebody I trust in the know with DePaul basketball. Talk, you actually don't know this. Oh, I don't. I'm Asking new. about, you know, potential for a midseason move. They said it seems very unlikely. It's not something that the organization is interested in, and it kind of goes against their values unless it's a complete disaster emergency. So probably letting Stubblefield coach out the rest of the season either way, but it, it's certainly not going the way he wants. I believe DePaul um, got their first win this week, which was you know important. Listen, to me, it comes down to roster construction. Uh, last year, I thought they had the talent. With Emoji Gibson and Javon Johnson and Deshaun Nelson, I thought they had the talent to be competitive. This year, I'm not even sure. Um, I like Odin and what he's able to do. He was a leading scorer in their win. Deshaun Nelson has taken an interesting step. 
um, kind of sideways. He's not impacting the games like he was last year. Chico Carter can shoot. Um, yeah, I mean, with the Paul, I think it's all big picture stuff uh, at this point. And I, I can't imagine Tony Stubblefield survives this. Well, hold on. Before we get into big picture, I've watched a minimal amount of the ball basketball by choice because you've taken that on for us. God bless you. I did watch some of DePaul today. How about this kid, Chico Carter? He's electric, huh? I mean, he was hitting shots from, like, the logo. He hit about three threes, drives the lane hard. He's a lot of fun. You can see why he was a very highly rated recruit. I think he was a four-star recruit when he went to a Big 12 school that I'm not going to have off the top of my head. Um, It's a lot of fun. I don't necessarily agree with you that there's – not talent on this team. I'm not saying there's not talent, but I don't think there's anywhere near the talent with last two or the top two, especially when you have a Moja Gibson and you have Javon Johnson. Um, I just felt like it was and Nick Agenda back there too. I just felt like there was more talent last year. Maybe Nick Agenda hanging around in the G League. He's uh-huh. on the um, opening day roster. I think they played about three or four games now, but he's coming off the bench, but he's still on there. Uh, Chico played at South Carolina last year, and then they lost to South Carolina. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that at this point, I've seen enough of Tony Stubblefield to realize that I don't need to see another year of this. There's no culture um, there in terms of the way they play basketball. Like, are they a defensive-oriented team? Are they an offensive-oriented team? I, I don't know what they are. And I don't – and I think your job at least is to have an identity as a team when you're the head coach. Yeah, I think they're supposed to be an offensive-oriented team that um... – is not elite offensively, they're okay. And they're so poor defensively that, you know, they're they're not even just hanging in games. You know, there was one point today when the announcer goes, DePaul's getting out-hustled, out-rebounded, you know, they're not giving the same amount of effort as the other team. How do you fix that? And you've been asking that question for three years now. Right. You've been asking it for 15 years, really. But. Right. Chances, Tony Stubblefield is the head coach of DePaul University in five years. Oh, God. 5%? Okay, 5%. That's our first one, so 5%. Hopefully it's the lowest, because if we went in order, that'd be cool. The coach that I think has the second least chance to be the head coach in five years, because that's the question. I, I'm going to say this person, because I think that a lot of these guys are ingrained into their organization. And I'm and this guy would be leaving um, because of different reasons. And I think that would be Rick Pitino. Because I think that if you're talking about age 72, 71, it'll be 76. I just think if we're playing the odds, that's where I'm at. Yeah, and, I think that's a reasonable take. Right. Johnny's played four games this week. I mean, talk about a feast week for them. What do you want to talk what do you want to talk about? Individual games? You want to talk about individual performances? It's a lot of basketball we watch for them this week. Yeah, I watch almost every minute of those four games. I think obviously the first thing that stands out to you is defensively. I mean, they gave up more than 70 points in three or four games. The only game that they kept their opponent to less than 70 points was North Texas, who's a low major. And, and I know a lot of people really like them as a low major, but they're still a low major. Won the NIT last year. All right. They beat Michigan, I believe, in one of the games. And I think so much of the issue defensively that's concerning is that it, a lot of it has to do with effort. And it's not – I mean, it is something you're used to seeing in St. John's, but you were hoping to not see it with Rick Pitino as a new coach. Um, today was a little bit better when they beat Utah. The defensive effort was seemed much higher, and it seemed a little more of an emphasis. But they're just missing rotations as well. So you need both pieces. You need the, the effort, but you also need them to be um, smart. Yeah, I mean, at this point, when you see four games, I'm going to say the North Texas game is the outlier, 53-52. Um, to 52. Yeah, you win the two losses this week. They let up 88 and a half points. That, that's what they average lining up. And then I believe they let up 80 points again to Utah today or somewhere around there. Um, I just don't – if I didn't show you that Mike Anderson wasn't the head coach this year and you didn't know, would you believe me that he was the head coach? Like, when you look over that sideline, this is, this is my issue. When you have 12 new guys, it's going to be really hard to gel. And defensively, it's really hard. Giving up 90 points – to Dayton and giving up 90 points to Michigan, who's picked 10th in the Big Ten. And then Michigan went out there and lost to Long Beach State, I believe. I mean, we're, I don't know how good St. John's is. I don't think they're going to know. I think we're in for a roller coaster of a season. It is interesting. Patino's really starting to shorten 
that rotation. Um, he's not giving many minutes to Conway anymore. He's not giving many minutes to Dunlap. Um, Aline played a lot today, but the game prior, he didn't play much. So it's not sustainable to have a 14-man rotation, and I think he's starting to pick out the guys that are going to successfully contribute. Quick shout-out to Jordan Dingle, who was fantastic today. 18 points and five assists. Yeah. Um, I think we should talk a little bit about Chris Ludlum and the way he plays. I mean, his just the way he attacks the gla- glass, but he did have a lot of turnovers, uh, kind of a bull in a china shop sometimes. Yeah, I think uh, there's some questions about what the future of the four is at St. John's right now. All right. Right. I took Rick Patino. Oh, right. Chances Rick Patino is the head coach of St. John's in five years. 30%, 35%. All right. I think he's likely to retire within five years. I do too, which has been my whole issue to begin with, but nobody wants to listen to me. Next up, I'm going to go Thad Matter here. Who's had that is a glad. couple of disappointing seasons, and he is older. This is probably his last run, so you could see him retire within five years. You could see him fire within five years, so I think that's a decent pick there. Ty, how did the Bulldogs do this week? 1-1, one one, uh, beat ETSU handily, but then got beat handily by Michigan State. I'll say that that game should have been double digits. I don't <clears> – <throat> watching the game, I didn't think – it was a 20-point game, um, <clears throat> just the feel of it. Yeah, I mean, listen, Butler played their first good team, and they got beat in East Lansing by Michigan State. Michigan State's hungry. They've lost two games this year already. To, um, and I think that, you know, they came out ready to go. They're the home team, and they really just kind of punched Butler in the mouth at different points. Um, it was clear that they just had more firepower. I'm not. I know some Butler fans were kind of broken up about this. And when you shoot 28%, you're going to lose basketball games. You made 15 field goals in the entire game. You made more free throws than you did field goals. Um, you're going to lose those type of games. So was it just a bad shooting night, or did we see you know, the worries about what Butler could be? I mean, listen, Pasha Alexander and DJ Davis combined to go for three of 18. They're going to shoot better than that. DJ Davis is not a one of six from three point shooter. In fact, the game prior against East Tennessee, East Tennessee, ETSU, Tennessee State University, he was fantastic. He led the team in points, um, hit a couple deep shots. He had like two steals. He, he had a really nice game. So, but we gotta, you know, there's. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. I like Butler, best Twitter fan base maybe in the country, but. We all said, let's see what they look like when they play someone. And then they played someone and they lost by 20. I mean, like, we can't just ignore that because they look good against Eastern Tennessee State University. Like, you you got smacked in the mouth by a much better team and you shot 28% in that game. You didn't just – it's not like they just outscored them. Um, I don't – 54 to 74 is one of those scores where do you look? your offense wasn't good. And your defense wasn't good. I'd rather lose that game 70 to 90 than 54 74. Yeah, but you're going to judge them off of one game where they faced a, a high level opponent. Whereas Georgetown's out here losing to Holy Cross. I mean, Butler's running the board against these low major teams. That does count yeah. for something because there's teams in the Big East who can't even do that. So, but right. They're ahead of Georgetown. I'm not grouping them with Georgetown, but I thought I might be grouping them with um, Xavier. You know, I thought that's kind of more where they were. And now I'm looking at it, and I'm like, maybe you are more in that Georgetown area, maybe a little bit ahead of Georgetown. I think they're significantly ahead of Georgetown. I think they're right in the conversation with Xavier. It's one bad game. I'm not overly concerned, but that is three minutes. Right. Percent chance Thad Mata is the head coach of Butler in five years. We'll turn this around since I answered the last two. What do you have on that? Uh, 50. I think if he builds a culture with this team, like it looks like it is, they might be happy with him. But – I think that's a little long in the tooth too. You know, that phrase I'm always using long in the tooth. Um, and into every conversation. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if he wants to coach forever. Yeah, this fair. All right, right. My pick for next coach to not be, well, the fourth least likely coach to be there in five years. And they're going to get mad, but I believe that this coach has got a wandering eye. He looks around and says, who's the pretty girls. I came here with her. I'm looking around, and Sean Miller has done this before, and I think that if someone comes calling, we gotta we might be looking at Sean Miller being poached by another school. 
right? Let's talk about the Xavier Musketeers. Yeah, and it was a tough week for the Xavier Musketeers. They're actually playing as we record this. They're currently winning 42-26 to against St. Mary's, which is obviously fantastic news for them, considering that they were plus money in this game. So looks like your boy is going to hit his bet. However, they did lose to the Purdue Boilmakers earlier in the week, and then they lost to Washington in the middle of the night, Friday night. Uh, for me, you know, that front court is uh, – the back court is really strong. Oliveri, McKnight, and Desmond Claude. There's just so many questions with the front court. And we knew that as soon as we knew Fremantle and Hunter weren't going to play. So none of this is surprising. Giddis Nemeshka has been a revelation, but he obviously can't do it by himself. Tonight, Sasha Chani gets the start over Abu Auzman. Um, He's had really nice minutes. Lazar Djokovic had his first game back uh, against Washington on Friday night, Saturday early morning. But they're piecing it together in the front court and – it's clear that against, you know, a guy like um, Zach Eady. Right. I'll push back a little bit. I watched that whole game. They, I thought they controlled Eady a lot of times. And, you know, I never like to get into the ref show here, but Eady started getting some touch fouls and Usman. I, I don't know. It's not Usman, is it? Usman? He was playing really good defense, but he fouled out early. Because Four fouls? In the first 22 minutes. Yeah, he got a lot. Some of them were touch fouls, I thought. I thought it was ridiculous that Zach Eady played 30 minutes and committed one foul. He's seven foot three. He's going to stumble into someone eventually. I think on the TV screen, everything looks like a, a touch foul on a seven foot five guy. I didn't. I you disagree. Know, I mean, watching, watching that whole game, I thought they played really well. I thought some of the shooters for Purdue, Fletcher Lawyer, um, Braden Smith, shot the ball well. I, th- I thought Xavier looked okay. I mean, the obvious question comes into your head. What does that game look like without... Fremantle and Hunter, or with Fremantle and Hunter. Um, and we're probably going to ask that all season. And but, the front court depth that they're missing there, you know, it's totally a different story if Djokovic and Sasha Chani are the first guys coming off the bench. Yeah. Now you have tremendous depth, and you can give those fouls to Zach Eady, but you have no depth, and you don't have your top-of-the-line guys going. It's just – it's a really tough ass. But, right, I mean, we – and we – I know the game's still finishing up, but – they're up 18 points. ESPN gives them an 80% chance of winning this game. St. Mary's was five and a half point favorites coming into this game. I mean, this is not a, you know, this is probably going to be a Q2, Q1 win that they're going to come up with. Um, they need their shooters to hit, and Oliveri has already hit three threes in this game. I mean, listen, Xavier to me is that one team where they can make a tournament or they could finish with a losing record, and I'm not sure which one still. And I don't think anything about this week pushed me in a direction. I think – and it's a weird sentence, right? I think so much of their season has to do with how Miller can get these European basketball players to play for him for the rest of the season. Sasha Chani, Djokovic, and Nemeshka are the key to this team. If he can get them giving him helpful minutes, you know, and shoring up the front court every night, they're absolutely a tournament team. Right, percent chance Sean Miller is the head coach of Xavier in five years. I'd say... 50%. I mean, you never know what's going to happen in five years. And he's an elite, elite coach that's already got one job at a high-level school. So anything could happen there. All right, right. Your pick, who is the next coach that is less, not likely to be at their school in five years? I think here I'm going to go with um, Creighton's Greg McDermott who has made overtures that he might be towards the end of his career. He's not particularly old or long in the tooth, as people say. People are saying it. But he has made some suggestions that he, you know, is not looking for another contract extension after this previous one. Um, That might not be five years. He might have, you know, six or seven years in him. I don't think he's going to another school, but I do think he's looking to wind down his career. So, Right, right. Creighton, Creighton got to work this week and played two games. Um. They played Iowa in a really fun up-and-down game, and then they smacked Texas Southern around. Um, I think that we get a lot more takeaways in that Iowa game, and I know – did you end up rewatching it? No. That was a really back-and-forth game for Iowa. Creaky, Creaky was – and, guys, this isn't just because I don't know. I'm looking at the name. I just can't pronounce anything. You should see the kids in my class. Creaky went for 24 points and he was just playing old man basketball. He was just hitting bank shot after bank shot after bank shot um, right outside the paint. 
which it just seemed a little fluky. I'm not saying that this kid isn't good. I mean, he's averaging 20 points a game right now, but um, he also, you know, didn't really impress me athletically. I mean, this is Trey Alexander's team, and he continues to take that step forward. He went for 23 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists. He was the best player on the floor at all times. Um, offensively, he's taken that next step forward. I was wildly impressed with him. Um, I was not known for their defense, I will say, but um, I just really have loved watching it. It looks like he made the right decision coming back to college because his draft stock is improving every single day. Yeah, you've seen a lot of NBA drafts analysts taking a look at him and saying he's made a significant athleticism jump that he's clearly in the gym this offseason and he's showing off what he's able to do. Ty, can you talk at all about the defense in that game, Ashworth and Miller Trout? How do they hold up? Yeah, I mean, Ashworth had his worst game of the season. He didn't score. Um, you know, I thought – I mean, maybe I was just watching it through Creighton-colored glasses. But some of Iowa's stuff, like I said, was fluky. Cricky hitting – Floaters over Ryan Clockburner's outstretched arms. At the end of the day for Creighton, you know, it's going to come down to their defense. They're going to score a ton of points. You can't let Iowa, you know, score 84 points. But if you're going to score 92, you're going to be a lot of teams too. Um, I thought Miller – I did ask this question, and maybe I'll phrase it to you too, Ryan. Outside of the starting five, who do you think is their most important player? Or their big four, who's their most important player? I mean, it's got to be the other starter. It's got to be Miller. Is it Miller, Trout, King, or Farabello? Miller. I think it's Miller. I think if Miller's able to hit his shots consistently and guard the fourth spot, I don't know how you play defense against a team with four elite shooters and Ryan Cockrunner in the middle of the floor. And I will see them as a, they're a top five offensive team, according to Ken Palm right now. It makes perfect sense. I will say that um, I put this out because Farabello had 14 points in this game. He was a difference maker at times. Fred King might be the best backup defensive or backup center in the country. Um, and then Trout looked really good, and Miller wasn't. Who's a better backup center than Fred King in the beginning? Samson Johnson is wildly offended by that statement. Fred King, Fred King's done it for two years. Samson Johnson's done it for two games. Um, uh, they have Loyola Chicago as their only game coming up Thanksgiving week. Right, percent chance that uh, Greg McDermott is the head coach of Creighton in five years. I'd say fifty-five. It's more likely than not, but I would say twenty-five. I don't think I think everything he's alluded to—too much smoke and fire. Um, I'd say after like year three, he's going to probably want to retire. Yeah, he'll be a young retiree, but you know what? Good for him. Enjoy it. Yep. He's already he might want to also watch his kid play in the NBA. You know, he doesn't Dougie get buckets. Do we talking Dougie buckets? Dougie bucket. Dougie Buckets? Uh, uh, so it's your draft pick. Who are you going uh, with? Coach that I think might not be at their job in five years. Now we're getting to coaches that I think will be. But I think this one has a lot of variables. Um, And I think we have a lot to talk about with him. Kim English for Providence. If they are bad, he probably won't make it five years. If they are good, a school might look and say, we would like Kim English because – he's a rising young coach and he's done it in the or he played in the NBA. So I'd like to put three minutes on the clock to talk about the Providence Friars who had a very eventful week. Um, three power six games, I believe they beat that heck out of Wisconsin. Then they lost a really kind of an interesting game that we'll talk about against Kansas state. And then they beat Georgia today without any of their point cards. Right. Who stood out to you? Uh, for me, it's Ticket Games, and if you follow me on Twitter, you've heard me just singing his praises. I couldn't be more impressed with Ticket Games and overall the entire defense. Tyler, they have not given up to 70 points in regular time this entire season. Five games, under 70 points in regular time. Now, of course, they go to overtime with Kansas State, and they give up more than 70 points. That doesn't really count. You know, people are brawling. People are fighting. You can't hold the defense accountable while that's going on. But the defense has been – in really impressive, and especially considering the number of pieces they returned from Ed Cooley's defense, which was not that impressive last year. But Bryce Hopkins looks engaged. Jaden Pierre looks engaged. Corey Floyd, we knew, had the possibility to be a really good defender, but he looks like he's living up to that. Garway Duell, if he can keep his hands to himself, is going to be an elite, elite defender at the point guard position. And Ticket Gaines, is, for me, is the anchor of that entire thing. Yeah, I mean, you, you talked to – I want to talk a little offense. Devin Carter is in that same conversation with Trey Alexander right now. 
for early biggies, Big East player of the year, first team guy who made the jump. Um, he scored 60 points this week, you know, in three games. So that's an easy average out for 20 a game. Um, I thought he really stepped up today for some of the ball handling without their two point guards in. Um, so I was really impressed. Uh, I do think we also need to mention some of, I want to talk a little extracurriculars later. So stay tuned to hear about a little biggies extracurricular activity, but Jaden Pierre got hurt and Jaden Pierre looked like another guy who took that step. And if they don't have Jaden Pierre, assuming Garway Duell does not face a lengthy suspension, um, they're going to be very thin in the point guard position. And I think you saw that today. They survived against a Georgia team who was 72nd in Cape Ken Palm. But I don't know if they have a point guard. If Yeah, you know. I don't agree with that take, actually. I think that their point guard position is in pretty good shape because you saw Corey Floyd run the point guard position. You saw Demi Carter run the point guard position. And obviously, when Garway Dual comes back, he is a natural point guard. Do I think there's some backcourt depth issues? Sure, because, you know, you also need to get them breaks and you need to play two of them at once. But I think that you have a lot of guards who can play both positions and can sub in at the point guard position. Tyler Bryce Hopkins, not off to his hottest start. How concerned are you? One out of ten? Or yeah, like I'm gonna go. I mean, I'm an overreactor. I'm gonna go eight because, and not because it's uh because he's having a bad start. Like who cares? It's because he has a whole new body, kind of, and he's talked about that. You drop 15 pounds, you're learning to play a new, you know, new way. He's just not getting downhill the way I thought he would. And his shooting hasn't been off to a great start. He needs to be, you know, Big East player of the year candidate Bryce Hopkins if they want to get where they want to get. You know, I don't hate that take. You Sometimes you see him get towards the rim and hit a body. Like, you know, he does. Like, he'll go into contact and kind of bounce off him and not finish through it the way he was when he was 20 pounds heavier. So, yeah. I don't know. It's all speculation, right? I have no idea. Um, and I peeked at the mailbag, so we'll get to talk about him. But – Player that I am absolutely not in a weird way because he's a child. Well, he's 23. Player that I'm falling in love with, Josh Adoro. Yeah. Josh My Adoro. God. That guy can shoot, defend, is gritty as hell. I love that guy. Love him too. All right. My next pick is going to be, and you know, honestly, I think we could have picked him earlier. It's probably Kyle Neptune, who has had no That's success true. as a head coach. And even though I like him as a person, and I think he, um, you know, I'm rooting for him and hope he has success, there's a very real possibility in a year or two Villanova could be looking to move on from him. So uh, let's talk Villanova Wildcats. They go one and one this week. They take a loss to University of Pennsylvania, which was, you know, it hurt for a lot of Villanova fans, a lot of fans of, you know, multi graduate fans. Yeah. Um, and- and as someone who donates $50,000 a day for the last 18, 1,842 days, I will not be watching until. However, um, they completely dominated against Maryland. I absolutely loved what I saw. The defense was connected, and Maryland can't hit a shot to save their life. And I t- that's called picking your opponent right there. That's called Kevin Willard is still scared to death when he sees Villanova. He thought Jay Wright was coaching this game, actually. Scared shitless. Right. What do we, which one do you believe is more likely to be Villanova? And I know what you're going to say. You're going to be like, they're probably somewhere in the middle, but are they closer to UPenn or are they closer to Maryland? I think they're closer to Maryland. I think they had a bad night against UPenn, a bad shooting night. And I think they'll be better. They have so many pieces on this team. And I want to give a shout out to two of my favorite guys in the Big East right now, two of my favorite transfers, TJ Bamba and Tyler Burton. You talk about two guys who are willing to do whatever it takes on the floor, hustle plays, getting rebounds, hit the floor, you know, get loose balls. I've been so impressed with the energy and the, uh, you know, the philosophy they've brought into this Villanova Wildcats team. Tyler Burton, TJ Bamba have been two of the best transfers coming in. And I think those little plays add up. And those little plays add up into wins. And I gave um, a little comparison to Jermaine Samuels. Uh, over Twitter, Jermaine Samuels liked that tweet. I'm going to take that as an endorsement. He says it too. I love what I'm seeing from them. Uh, I want an investigation into Villanova. And I, and I stay with me here. I believe they're a cult. <laughs> because what I think they do is I think they indoctrinate people to just somehow when you get to Villanova, it used to be what the Yankees were, you get to Villanova and they just tell you the way we act. And they're like, yes, yes, this is the way we act. It's like, like Justin Moore probably came in there like as a bubbly, you know, person. Now, poor guy is a robot. 
But like you know they, what? They, if you're TJ Bomber and Tyler Burton, you you played four years each. I think Bobby yeah. played four. You haven't won anything. You look yeah. at Villanova, they are the most winning program over the last 10 years, and you say, okay, this is what it takes to win. You guys would know, right? You've won two national championships in the last 10 years. I've been playing for four years in college basketball. I haven't won shit. Yeah, but so they do it. And when does the indoctrination end, though? Because we're eventually people are going to look around and be like, this happened with the Yankees. People are going to look around and be like, oh, none of you guys have won. Is it would Justin Moore and Eric Dixon walk out of that locker room? Eric Dixon went to a Final Four two years ago. That's what I'm saying. When they Moore... walk, that's what I'm saying. When they walk out of the locker room, is that when the people are going to look around and be like, Jordan Longino was a freshman on that team. Okay. So when Jordan Longino leaves, I'll be looking to see less Villanova recruits. You're a hater. I like I like them. They're just I don't understand how they convince everyone to do exactly what they say. All right. It's your pick. We got three teams left. Do you need me to run through them? UConn, Marquette, and Cre- uh Providence. Uh UConn, Marquette, and Georgetown. Damn. And Seton Hall, but we're saving Marquette. Yeah. Um, I will go with the next coach that I think is probably one of the, the fourth most likely coach to be there in five years. And I'm gonna go Shaheen Holloway. Uh for Seton Hall. And Seton Hall got two wins this week. I believe they beat Wagner and Albany. Um, I I love what Shaheen Holloway did, right? I know people are going to hate on his non-con. He'll get there eventually. But he knew he kind of had a newer, younger team coming in. And he said, let me give you the confidence to get a bunch of wins under your belt. So when we get to our non-con and we get to our conference schedule, you know what it's like to win. Yeah, they probably played the easiest schedule to date. They have no high major opponents. I believe that's the only team you can say that about. I'm pretty sure about that. Um, I got called out last week. I don't know if you saw this. Somebody said, it looks like you aren't actually watching these games. And I hate to say it, but they had some truth to that. I wasn't watching most of it. So I did turn on the Seton Hall-Wagner game. Did Left Coast Pirate bully you into watching the game? He might have. However, I did watch the game, and I maintained. I'm not impressed. What uh, the hell do they have to do? Listen. This is a bad take. I, I, Alamir does will chuck from anywhere, okay? When it, Alamir, go ahead. You say your dumb things, and then I'll talk. When it hits, it's nice to see, right? But I'm not impressed with his shot selection. I'm not impressed with the front court. Jaden Bediaco doesn't look like a Big East caliber front court to me. Kadari Richmond's obviously gifted. And I, I'd be the dumbest person you can imagine to sit here and say that there's nothing special to Kadari Richmond. I'm not seeing it for the rest of this team. Dylan and I, Wusu, seven points against Wagner, two of seven. Um, it's, it's, it's Kadari, Kadari Richmond and, and the tantrums. Here's your bullshit. If Dylan and I, Wusu went out there and scored 20 points, you'd say it's only against Wagner. And then he goes out there and scores nine, and you're like, he can't even do it against Wagner. Like, Alamir Dawes, I would agree with you if this is a freshman who just happened to find – we've said for four years that Alamir Dawes doesn't look at the basket when he shoots. I don't know why it goes in. I don't know why it goes in every single time. Didn't Alamir Dawes since in 2020, 39% from three. 2021, 39% from three. 2022, 38% from three. So far this year, 38% from three. There is nothing at all to suggest that Alamir Dawes is not an absolute D1 caliber player who could be Biggie's second team, in my opinion. Kadari Richmond, Devin Carter, Trey Alexander have taken that next step forward. Kadari Richmond's a leader. He's got a podcast. You ever heard of it? Try it sometime. Left can we, coast, get, can we get you on the record? Alamir Dawes, second team Biggie's. You're putting that on the record? He, you don't think he has the talent to get second team Biggie? Are you saying he's going to be on the second team? No, Biggie? I'm saying he has the talent. I also so you, don't know. But can we hear a prediction? Is he going to be on the second team Biggie? Alamir Dawes at least is in the honorable mentions. At Back. least. Guys, save that, would you? Because at minimum. In his have, face, he doesn't know what he's talking about. There's not enough talent on this tip. There's no talent in the front court. You're starting, you know, two. You're starting three wings. Their point guard, 6'8". Who cares? Yeah, he's a wing, really. Kadari Richmond is bigger than most. They're going to be fine. Seton Hall is going to be a bubble team until the last minute. That is my other prediction. We got a, a, a good... um Mailbag question for Seton Hall, so I won't go any further into it. That is our time. That's three minutes, so we'll, we'll cross them off. Glad um, you watched your first game this week to come at them. Listen, I can't be speaking uninformed. 
So and now you're just wrong. It was better when you were uninformed. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go Dan Hurley. Frankly, I think he probably should have been taken already because he's had so much success and because he's made comments about being interested in coaching in the NBA. So I would say that there's probably only a 60% chance he's coaching at UConn in five years. I would say there's like a 25% chance for Neptune. By the way, we didn't do any of that. And I would say that there is a, I'd say there's like a 75% chance for Holloway. It seems like his Ed Cooley provident. Oh, wait. Anyway, um, Dan Hurley, two wins this week and played their first high major game. Yeah, and that Indiana game was a lot of fun. That game just ended when we were recording. Donovan Klingon. Game ended six hours ago. People know how to tell time. It feels like it just ended, guys. Um, Tristan Newton, Cam Spencer, Donovan Klingon, Hassan Diara, the the names up and down the list. And it looks so much like what it did last year, where stars in your role, which is actually a Marquette phrase. But we're going to use it here for the Huskies. You know, Donovan Klingon goes for 11 rebounds. Hassan Diara gets six assists as your backup point guard. Tristan Newton is the scorer for today. Cam Spencer misses like two shots over the course of the entire day. You know, Samson Johnson's fantastic in his role. Alex Caravan had really big moments in the first half, kind of um, had a little trouble shooting in the second half. When you have this many guys who understand their role, are excellent in their role, and don't try to force things, how you win national championships. And, right, one of the most impressive things to me was this game never felt like UConn was dominating. It never – it said, like, and eh, they could – you know, they can do things a little differently. Hear that, um, right, the names go out my head the second the game ends. Indiana kid, the lefty, who was hitting all the shots of start. Um, Ryunu? R- oh, Ryan. yeah. It's a French name. Um. You know, it felt like they were kind of taking him, you know, Caravan, some worries at the four, as always. I mean, this this UConn team, it didn't seem surprising to them that they were up by 20 at the end. It didn't seem like, oh, this is fun. We just dominated. It felt like we came to work. We did what we were supposed to do. Now we're going home. It was really interesting. They put Samson Johnson defending the four at points, especially in the first half, to try to slow down the kid that we're not going to know his name. Um I mean, the kid was so I love, good. I watched the whole game. He was great. Alex Caravan still has some question marks defensively. We said that last year. Bryce Hopkins targeted him for a fantastic game. Yeah, no, we are. You know what? Alex Caravan is so good offensively that Hurley can't afford to have him off the court for a significant amount of time. He's the best shooter on the court. Oh, I do wonder, and I know you, we talked about this in the offseason, can you slide Tristan to the one? Can you slide Cam to the two? Caravan to the three, and can you play Samson and Klingon? Well, you got to remember play- when he used to play Whaley and Sonogo together, and he said, I'll never do that again. You know, I made my money at URI playing four guards. He loves the spacing, having four guards. He felt like he had to give Whaley the starting Well, you know, Whaley deserved the starting job, but he had inherited Whaley. Um, and also, what the hell are we doing? Alex Caravan won a national championship last year at the four. We know it can work. Like, no, we're just okay. nitpicking on a 20-point win. Alex Urban is potentially their best offensive player. I'm, I'm I agree. definitely not suggesting I take him off. I'm just saying that's what Indiana. These are rich man problems, right? The way problems that UConn has right now. Agreed. That leaves just one more team to talk about. And I do agree that they are two the more team. teams to talk about, but we're going to say Marquette. Yeah, right. I do agree that this team is the last team to talk about in this conversation. Ed Cooley is not going anywhere. Georgetown is his final destination. I said that about Providence, so what the heck do I know? But you know what? I'm put myself back out on a limb. I have to imagine it's where he wants to retire. Right. I mean, agreed with that, everything you just said. Um, I was at the game. I went to the Georgetown Rutgers game. Not as hostile as I thought it would be. There were some uh, F. Ed Cooley chants. I don't know. I don't think Ed Cooley realized that he could have more scholarship players on his team. I think he was bamboozled by that rule. And all of a sudden, he looked around and goes, wait, you guys have more than eight? And was like... Ishmael got injured. A cook and cook transferred out in, like, September. So I don't talk junk about my boy, Coach Cooley. Love you, Ed Cooley. 30% turnover rate. Tyler, how many games are you going to win giving the ball away 30% of your possessions? Zero. That Rutgers game when I was... I mean, like I said, I was there. 
They could not cross half court. Noah Fernandez for Rutgers was just taking the ball from them every time. Rowan is a point guard freshman. But you want to know what pissed me off the most? So I go there and I'm rooting for Georgetown. I'm rooting quietly. It's the rack. Ed Cooley didn't change anything to beat the press. There was a one sequence where they inbound the ball to Rowan. Noah Fernandez comes in, tips it out of bounds. They do the exact same inbound ball. Noah Fernandez hits it off Rowan's leg and it goes out of bounds. They needed to change something and they refused to do it. And it was very frustrating to watch. They didn't try home run passes. They just kept trying to dribble one-on-one past these guys in the press. Um, Tyler, listen, can you give a, a Wayne Bristol shout out? Who is everywhere. And I didn't get to watch a game today because, you know, there's concurrent games, but reading, you know, some of my buddies, apparently he was everywhere again today. He has earned time. He didn't have a lot of playing time last year, but high energy, high hustle. He was fantastic against Rutgers. He was one of the very few bright spots for Georgetown in that game. And I would love to see Wayne Bristol potentially in the starting lineup the way he's playing right now. Some positives for Georgetown. Jaden Epps can absolutely score with the best of them. Um, I believe he had 30-something today for um, and a win against American. And he hit – I mean, that, that game was over. They were down 11 points, I think, with six minutes to go. And he brought them all the way back, hit a three with about five seconds left in regulation. Um, Dontre Styles is really good transfer um, from North Carolina. He's averaging 20 points a game right now. Um, my hope is that Dontre Styles, Jaden Epps, Jay Heath look at this team next year and say – we brought in two more transfers. We have Rowan coming off the bench. Now this is the year we go. But right now I can't figure out what they're trying to do. And it feels like so much like just get this year over with. Yeah, and I only got a few seconds here, but we're going to give a little shout out to Ryan Matumbo, who got some run in that Rutgers game. It was actually the most run he got all year. And he looked darn good. Don't roll your eyes at me. That's a true seven-footer and the son of an NBA legend. Come on, Cooley. You can find some time for him. Get him in the game. His last name wasn't Matumbo. He would be Matumboing in college. He is no worse than half the guys you're trotting out there. That's not fair. Five of them are walk-ons. That's not fair. I love Michael DeRosa. He's big on the more minutes for the walk-ons train. That that leaves us with one final team to go to. However... Tyler's topic. I have a Ryan. I wanted to throw something in there today because the Big East is grumpy and it's mean. And I wanted to talk all about it because we get so locked into these games. I don't know if we get to talk about the storylines and the storylines are why we love sports, right? All right. Three things happened this week. And I want to talk to you. Ed Cooley, weird press conference, told a bunch of people, don't be in awe of me, ask questions. Thought it was weird at the time. Still think it's weird. Garway Dual throws a punch that we're going to talk about later with Michael DeRosa too, because he submitted a um, mailbag. Then Shaheen Holloway gets weird and chippy in the line, right? Is this just basketball? Is the Big East mean again? What are we, what do we, what do we need to talk about? You know, I'm so glad you asked me because I got a hot take for you. Okay. It's going to be dumb, isn't it? 40 years ago, we celebrated this, right? You see Patrick Ewan throwing punches and we're like, yeah, that's how we used to be. We're tough. And we see Garway Dual throwing punches and we're like, come on, man, you got to be smarter than that. Now, does it negatively affect his team? Yes. However, I don't mind a little bit of toughness. You can't get suspended for the next game, Dual. So do it in a way where you're going to get to play the following game. But I don't mind a little bit of toughness. I'm, I agree with you on that part. And I'll be totally honest. He's 19 years old. He did get punched in the face. Whether that kid did it on purpose or not, I don't know if many people that can get punched in the face and not want to go do something. However... I'm annoyed at coaches. You are your job as a college head coach is to lead and transform kids to men. Ed Cooley has embarrassed himself in last year's press conference. I thought when he went after the spoiled, arrogant UConn fans, he embarrassed himself in a lot of the way he handled that situation. In my opinion at Georgetown. And then to come in there and say, don't sit there in awe. No one's in awe of yet. We just don't have a question. If you want the question to be, why can't you break a press after you've been working all year on it? Fine. Well, at, like you don't want to answer the hard questions. You don't. All you keep saying is it's a new opportunity. You haven't answered the hard question yet because nobody's given you one. I don't necessarily agree with you. I think he went about it the wrong way, but I think his message was fair. He was trying to say, he and he literally said, we owe you guys an answer. 
But and I think what he's trying to say is we're we were embarrassed. You need to ask us like how did we let this happen? And I owe you an answer. And do I agree with the way he went about it, picking on college kids? No, I never agree with that. However, I think the message is good. And, you know, if he had softened it up a little no. bit. No, why? Why? Ed Cooley is not an expert in journalism. He does not get to talk to people down to them because he wants to. That's like me going in there and being like, Ed, I'm going to give you advice on how to coach a basketball team. No, stay in your lane. That's your job. Right. Anything with the Shane Holloway thing, I think that's the biggest nothing burger of all time. I can't figure out what the heck happened between them, considering I think he was mad about pressing. But didn't he literally play with the guy? No, they're like friends. But like, that's where I'm like, I don't care. Like, I get into fights with my friends sometimes over competitive things. I fuck with Shaheen Holloway. I Listen, uh, he's a real one. And if he had a problem with it, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't mess around. And it's not like he punched him. He said, like, get through his hand away. Like, I mean, that's a big nothing burger to me. And they both. And I really like the way that he handled it maturely in a press conference after where he said, can't be doing that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, getting to speak to him at Biggest Media Day, just one of the nicest guys was very real, gave me real answers. I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt until he proves he doesn't in the Big East uh, media sphere. So Ed Cooley does not deserve the benefit of the doubt, though. I just gave him the benefit of the doubt. I hate, I can't. I love Georgetown and I hate Ed Cooley. It's the weirdest thing. All right. We're going to move over to Marquette for our team of the week. But before we do that, we want to give a little shout out to our favorite sponsor and the sponsor of the episode, Diamore Designs. Diamore Designs is a family-run company that creates apparel, custom apparel, for all of your needs, um, they kind of got their start making apparel for rec sports teams and you know softball teams, intramural teams. Um, but now they really do it for anything that you could need. So if you want any custom apparel, go to DMOR Designs. Tell you got the website? Yeah, dmordesigns.square.site. Um, uh, if you just Google DMOR Designs, it'll come up. Um, help them out. They're really helping us out, getting us to do a few cool things. Help them out. Look cool while doing it. All right. And that takes us to our team of the week. It's your Marquette Golden Eagles with probably the best Big East win of the season. So we're going to put five minutes on the clock. And we're going to talk Marquette. Yeah. I mean, they, they're the only team with a top 25 win, right? On the road. I mean, you go to a true road environment, which we have five minutes. Can I just ask why the Big East seems like they're playing a lot of games on true road games where all these other Power 5 conferences seem to almost get cupcakes? I mean, why is Butler going to... That's a cabinet game. Okay, but I even UConn's going to Kansas this year and Gonzaga. Why is nobody coming for a true road game in a Big East arena? Wisconsin just did a true road game in Providence. Is this the first 30 seconds of Providence? Sorry, I was getting annoyed when I was thinking about how UConn has to go to Kansas and Gonzaga this year. Um, yeah, I mean, this was a back-and-forth game. I thought that Illinois played really well. I was surprised um, that Coleman Hawkins is still in college. But I thought that this was a really um, up-and-down game. We had heard coming into this game, Tyler Kolick was hurt. Ryan, did Tyler Kolick look hurt? I'm still excited. And this is wow. This is five days later. Stand up and show everyone. <laughs> this was the best performance I've seen from uh, Big East player all season, Tyler Kolek, in the moments that mattered the most. Um, you know, and you can spend all offseason kind of downplaying Tyler Kolek, right? Because you can be like, you know, he doesn't jump off the page, his athleticism, this and that. You can almost forget why he won Big East player of the year. And then he just went out in a true road environment in an orange out in Illinois. He dropped 23 points. 24. 24, 6, and 4. And he made all the most important shots and assists down the stretch. I mean, this dude is special. He's really fucking special. It's really cool we get to see him for another year. Um, and, and, and just, you know, a little emotionally getting to watch that game reminds you of why you love college basketball. Uh, you know, a lot of the games early in the season are nothing burgers. That game was so special and so much fun. And, uh, you know, a lot of credit to Tyler Collard. Tyler Oso Iguodaro got himself hurt towards the end of the game. Any concern? Um, No, because I honestly forgot that was just such a good game. Kolek on a bum ankle goes for 37 minutes. I mean, 
Like we're like we're we're talking about and what's great is he's kind of going into this villain role now. Like people are probably listening to this being like, I hate you, Tyler Kolek. And it's like, yeah, well, you should. Like if you love your college team, he's gonna help beat your college team. People hate Christian Leitner and Grayson Allen, and they play dirty. Tyler Kolek doesn't play dirty. The way that Marquette moves the basketball rye, it's beautiful. I mean, I don't want to sit here and solilo- you know, I'm going to monologue about why college basketball is great. Like, you just got so emotional and you cried for a little bit. Like, I don't need to do that. They move the basketball in such a way where every pass is so purposeful and they trust every single player to be in their spot, star in your role, which we talked about for – it's Marquette saying we talked about it for UConn. This team stars in the role. Tyler Kohler doesn't need to take the shot. Cam Jones hit many big shots down that stretch of that game. I'm wildly impressed that they were able to keep their starting five um, and just insert David Joplin in there. Yeah, this was – I mean, this is going to go down as probably one of the best Big East wins of the year. Chase Ross played the three down the stretch in place of Stevie Mitchell. Looks like Chase Ross might be the guy for them in, in big moments and big games. Makes perfect sense. That is my cat. Um, we saw that coming. Uh, Chase Ross's sophomore leap as one of our picks going into the season. Tyler, is there a better Big East trio than Tyler Kolek, Oso Iguodaro, and Cam Jones? The UConn three would say they are. I mean, right there. What's your three for UConn? Caravan, Newton, and Klingon. Oh, yeah. Um, No, but that's not in Cockburn or Trey and Shireman. But no, the Marquette three are probably first, right? If Marquette is going to, like, if if something goes wrong, what is it going to be? Like, let's put a little rain on this parade. So much of what they do is dependent on Osor Gidaro and Tyler Kolek, that if they got injured or, you know, God forbid, for whatever reason, they just – Shots start not falling. You know, look at Bryce Hopkins and what he's going through right now. I think that that's really the situation because so much of what they do is predicated on that two-man game. And then finding Kim Jones as a third option. But, you know, so much begins with Tyler Kolek and also Godaro. The great thing for Marquette fans this year, you're going to the tournament no matter what, right? Like, you, you get to figure out what minimal changes you can make to be that championship team at the end of the year. Um, Tyler... I just want to throw this out. I know we're out of time. Tyler Kolek, Oswego Godaro, Stevie Mitchell, we saw them at media day. They had the good intensity to them. I think this is all about getting back to the NCAA tournament and making up for the finish they had last year. I think it's one mission. You know, we had a great year last year, and then we ruined it by getting knocked out in the second game. Like, we have unfinished business. Right, I think I, I completely agree. The chip, I want to tell the story quickly that I was telling you. Um, we've interviewed Stevie Mitchell, so we went up and said something. He wasn't in the Big East Media Day. His picture wasn't there. Um, they had put the other four, and I said, Stevie, how are they going to do you wrong like this? Just making a joke. And Oso just looked at me and said, you know what they say? Fuck them. And I was like, oh, this team's still, like, chip on their shoulder. They are not uh, – like, There's an intention. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a real intensity to these guys. I agree with that. All right. All right. That brings us to our last segment of the night. We threw out a mailbag opportunity. We had 12 people respond. Um, so let's get to it and talk a little bit of what the people want to talk about. FF, one of my favorite Seton Hall follows, by the way. Got that in first. Got to hear your thought about some of the Hall players. I'm loving the performances from the whole five, and Isaiah Coleman is seeming quite flashy. Ryan, do you want to crush FF, or would you like to tell him why his team might be going dancing this year? I did really like the minutes from Isaiah Coleman. I really like the minutes from Sanders, who didn't catch my eye as much his freshman season, but he's kind of built a lot like Kadari Richmond. Really long arms. Um, He could be a really special player as a guard. And obviously, Kadari Richmond's incredible. But as you know, if you've listened to my Seton Hall segment earlier at half, and I love you also, I just don't see it on the front court. Yeah, I and I had Seton Hall maybe going to the dancing. 
All right. Um, left coast who bullied you. I thought we'd do both scene hall Thanksgiving plans. Question mark. I think he's asking us if we should go with him. I will be at my girlfriend's grandmother's house who will yeah. be making Spanish food. And, I'll and then you're coming over after you're coming over after. Oh, uh, that's, you know, un unclear. If you, oh, mom's going to be so mad if you don't come over after I'm going to have my mom and my sister. All right. Uh, what team are you most concerned with early in the year? Butler fighting crew. I think there's an obvious answer. St. John's? Yeah, St. John's. It's got to be St. John's. And uh, we could have seen this coming with St. John's because of the number of transfers, but obviously the Rick Pitino hype gets people a little ahead of themselves and it's a crash down, to, uh, a reminder that it takes time to build a winning team. So I think St. John's is the pick there. Yeah, I think St. John's is – if I had to pick a second team, I'd be Villanova. Um, losing to UPenn. Gets me a little concerned, especially when you had no success last year at the head coach. Um, early season player of the year, and who finishes second to Trey Alexander? John Skinner posted that. He's an interesting guy on Twitter, but whatever. But um, right, I, I think right now it's Trey Alexander, it's Devin Carter, it's Tristan Newton. Yeah, it's tough because Devin Carter has played three high major opponents. Trey Alexander and Devin Car um, Tristan Newton have each played one. So I'm kind of leaning, leaning towards Providence and Devin Carter going two and one against high major opponents. That's the best record against high major opponents of any Big East squad right now. Trey Alexander was fantastic. He's been incredible. I'm certainly not trying to take anything away from him. Um, and it's hard because, like, one game shifts it so much. Like, I can make an argument for Tyler Kolick after the way he just played against Illinois. Um, we need to see a lot more, but Trey Alexander to me, Shows Big East Player of the Year um, potential, which is awesome. I really, really have enjoyed watching him play this year. Um, and Coach Ricky also said Trey Alexander, Player of the Year, talk about it. Probably would get maybe best odds. Kolek probably is first. All right. Um, local Jasker, J-A-Y-S-K-E-R, said uh, each team's worst conference matchup. And I thought maybe we could just, not each, but like we could do a few. Well, that's a really interesting question. If DePaul or Georgetown play a Big East team, that's a bad conference matchup. <laughs> Unless they play each other. Georgetown's best conference matchup, DePaul. DePaul's best conference matchup, Georgetown. I continue to think that Creighton's worst conference matchup is Villanova because Eric Dixon can stretch the floor, take Ryan Cockburner out of the paint, and it allows – and they have guards that can post you up, and now you have Ryan Cockburner out of the paint. Really can highlight some of their defensive – deficiencies without Ryan Cockburn to erase those. Yeah. Uh, I think if you're talking about a Xavier team, like any of the Soriano, Cockburn, or Klingon, anyone who has a big, big, um, I think if you're talking about the top three, Marquette, to me last year too, their worst matchup was UConn, but then they handled them twice because they Klingon was such a matchup nightmare for some of them last year. I think Creighton and Marquette is going to be a really good matchup. Um any team with a high point guard play is going to give Creighton a little bit of a hard problem because I, I just don't think Ashworth is amazing um, defensively. Yeah, UConn with Tristan Newton, well, also Tyler Kohler. So both of them should, will be really tough asks. Who do you have as Providence? Probably it's, it's Ryan Kalkbrenner and Donovan Klingon because they have an undersized five. Yeah, and I was going to say maybe for UConn, I would say Providence as well because Bryce Hopkins and Alex Caravan is a. Uh, Mismatch. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, Most but, people's worst matchups are Donovan Klingon, Ryan Cockburner. Is that what we're getting? Joel Soriano. Yeah, like the three of them. Um, I like a few of these. Talk about how Klingon was overhyped. I'm not going to read the rest of it because it's a dumb question. I, I mean, I do think so far there are questions about Donovan Klingon's offensive game in terms of just being able to dump it to him in the post and hope he scores. I mean, will he maybe still average 20 points a game on lobs, finishes? Um, Second chance points, yeah, maybe, but it looks like UConn when they want a bucket or need a bucket, Tristan Newton and Alex Caravan are not their guys Dude, and was, Camp Spencer. It was silly hype when it got to that point. He was never a face up guy. He was never a back to the basket guy. He may, he does his damage on offensive rebounds and lobs, and he's a fantastic defensive presence that changes every shot at the rim when he's on the court. He's absolutely as he deserves all the hype he's gotten. 
if he stayed two more years in college basketball, he would probably have a back-to-the-basket game. He doesn't need to stay two more years in college basketball. He's going to be a first-round pick. He I, is Walker Kessler, and Walker Kessler has been fantastic and was underpicked where he was, and I think he went in the first round anyway. Though. Yeah. I mean, I don't think – I mean, I even with the way he's playing, he could still be an All-American. Like, I mean, there's no – yeah, maybe there's more talented players, but Donovan Klingon is going to be right in the conversation. He had seven offensive rebounds today. Indiana and, and, had four. Yeah, like, and also, UConn hasn't – lost the game because of Donovan Klingon yet. So I'm not worried yet. Um they've won every game by 20 plus points. I mean yeah, what I mean I'm just what are we doing here? And he doesn't get credit for his how good of a rebounder he is. He really fights down there and you know he's not the biggest guy but and Kloware today was a very very high rated transfer um that Indiana got. It's not like this is some scrub. Yeah. This isn't some scrub and even Mabaku was a five star that went to St. Um, Indiana over St. John's. Um, few more good ones I liked a lot, and these are my last two. Rye, uh, you want the Big East question or the team question? Team, team. Hemi mindset, who is becoming one of my favorite followers on Providence Twitter. After his performance against the likes of Wisconsin and Georgia, how do you see Josh Adoro doing against Cockburner, Soriano, Klingon, and Dixon? It's a great question. It's an interesting question. Listen, I'm going to say something Providence fans will not like. He struggles in pick and roll defense. Right now, they're playing him in drop coverage because he's frankly, he's not mobile enough to really get out there and hard hedge or switch. So they're trying to put him in drop coverage to hide him, but he doesn't have the length. Yeah. You know, great drop coverage defenders in the Big East are Donovan Kligan and Ryan Crockbrenner because they're huge. Josh Adoro just doesn't have the length. You really saw Will McNair have good success against Josh Adoro in the pick and roll because Adoro can't guard both the, the ball handler and prevent the pass to the roll man. Um, I absolutely believe that the Big East coaches, who are some of the best coaches in the entire world, will exploit that. I also think Josh Adoro offensively, the number of tools he has offensively is really hard to combat. He is fantastic. In the post, he can hit the three. He has a mid-range game. He's a very well-rounded offensive player, but I do have questions about him defensively. I don't think he's going to look out of place against any of those guys. I don't think you're going to be looking at him going, wow, that matchup's getting exploited every time. Um, maybe against Soriano because his back-to-the-basket game is so strong. Um, you could see that a little bit. One of the things I've been impressed with with Providence is a lot of these teams rely on their big guys to rebound. Providence is doing an amazing job of gang rebounding. I mean, Devin Carter, I think, had 11 rebounds the other night. They're doing a really good job of everybody crashing the boards. But, I, you know, that does worry me. They're kind of covering up a little bit of Adoro's, you know, size. But he's going to space the floor. He hits some threes. He plays with a lot of energy. He's like a little taller Oso Iguodaro, in my opinion. Um, Not quite as mobile, but kind of that five that can play a four-ish position too. He is old man game. Yeah. All right, Ryan, last question, and I thought this was a good one to end on. Kai, well, you also picked it. Kai Muskie said, do you think the Big East can still get six tournament teams? Obviously, you have Creighton, Marquette, and UConn, but the rest have shown some signs of uh, struggle. We are about two weeks in, but some teams like St. John's have shown they have a long way to go. So what do you – what? I don't – we're not overreacting, obviously, but we're going to pretend that Creighton, Marquette, and UConn are in no matter what, right? Is that fair? Yeah. Like, it, it would take a catastrophe for not them to get in. What are the what are your other teams you would say that have the best chance of getting in? So Villanova, I'm still projecting at a 90% clip to get in. Um, maybe 85%. You're, you're splitting hairs. Um, I think that – the amount of talent they had one bad game against University of Pennsylvania. I'm not that worried. I think they'll, they'll be just fine and be an NCAA tournament team. So that's four. Pro in my opinion, and I'll do it. We'll go back and forth. I guess I would put Providence at an 85% chance of getting in. I think you have seven players on that team who are legit, legit. Um, and I just, I don't see a situation where, they like they're gonna get some good out of conference wins, and then they're gonna 
every night's going to be a Q1 opportunity. I think they win enough of those games. They get in at like a six or a seven seed. I agree with that. And then you're talking about St. John's, Xavier, and Butler as your sixth. I mean, St. John's is, you know, it's a bad week. Maybe they're down to a 40% chance. Xavier, it's a bad week. Maybe they're down to a 35% chance. Butler, it's, you know, it's not a great week because they lose the game that matters. Maybe they're down to a 30% chance. But you add all those three up. I'm yeah. not I'm not a mathemat- mathematician, but I still think one of them goes in. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think if you're saying five teams are projected to be in and um, you get a flyer for one of the, those other ones, yeah, why not? I mean, I could see it happen. Yeah, I think I think six is probably what we're looking at, though. I think six is realistic, five is pessimistic, seven is optimistic. Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. Well, I was bound to do it eventually. Amen. That wraps up week two of the Big East Parham. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. We appreciate all your support. Uh, definitely go check out SeatGeek and DMR Designs. Let them know that the Big East Barroom sent you. B-E-B-R is the SeatGeek code. And thank you so much for, for listening and pulling up a stool.